Hello and welcome back to Drama School Dropout, the UK's third best drama podcast. As per usual, my name is Ingram Noble and I am your resident Drama School Dropout and this week it's episode 123 and today I am joined by an actress who I absolutely love. Please welcome to the podcast, Daniela Rua. My first two jobs, I think I negotiated those myself, which was a terrible idea because you never want to ask for more when it's for you because you feel like an asshole. I'm not even 39 yet and I'm already planning on what I'm going to give myself for my 40th birthday. Look at my face. Am I bothered? Face? Bothered? No. No. Regarding my visage? Regarding my visage? All of this and more coming up on Drama School Dropout. Welcome to the podcast. How are we? Very well. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so fucking excited for this. <laughs> I'm excited too. I listened to a few episodes and I think you have really good questions. So oh, I was thank very you. I, I really like just talk shit with people. That's that's like my niche. Like all yeah. of the questions that other people don't ask. I'm like, what did you steal from set? <laughs> <laughs> like nobody else asks those things. So I found my niche of pointless, stupid questions that people seem oh. to like. Those sometimes lead to some very interesting and informative answers. So I don't I don't think you can lose there. I like it as well because I never get too serious and I never make people feel uncomfortable. And then I hardly make the news because people aren't saying outlandish <laughs> shit. And I, I quite enjoy that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I quite like yeah. just living in my own little corner of the internet. Where are you recording from? Is I'm in my bedroom. And if we go behind, I, I don't know if I'm, it's my bed my right there. Too, I'm there you like, go. There's your bed. I, I'm going to, after this, Roll back, pull the backdrop down, right into bed. I'm going to phone my mom and say goodnight, and I'm going to go to sleep. Do you talk to your mom every day? I talked to my mom today. I have spoke to my mom eight times. Oh, do you know how much I adore hearing that as a mother? Every day, without fail, I always end the conversation with I love you, and it's all good. We never argue, because maybe that's because we live 500 miles apart. But, like, yeah, I speak to my mom, like, eight times a day, minimum. That, that that melts my heart as a mother um and the fact that because I, I speak to my my mom every single day but i think that that's a more obvious thing being a daughter mm. um but you know generally sons tend to not ring their parents as often and so it's very nice for me to know that there is hope but how's life because i know you're in one of my favorite cities in the world it's where i plan to move to by the time i'm 30 so time is ticking on but how's LA? How's life? Life is going very well, thankfully. Um, I, I think what seems to be sort of a, a, a breezy image of a of a, a dream come true really took a lot of um, work to make mm. the dream come true, obviously. Uh, but yeah, L- LA is good. It's. Um... Are you telling me that you didn't roll out of drama school and find fame and fortune and a house in LA? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not the LA part of it. No. Well, you know, my trajectory was a little bit um, different probably than than a lot of people that go to drama school only because I started working professionally before I even went to drama school. Yeah. Um, and I was fortunate enough to start earlier so that by the time I got out of drama school, I was sort of, you know, I sort of had some version of networking in place, yeah. which is uh, which is not the common thing. Um, so I acknowledge that that was a, a a lucky thing that happened. I was kind of the same. I wasn't working, but all the way through drama school, 
I was talking to professional actors every week and there would be things that would pop up in my classes and I'd be like, oh, I want to like talk about that a bit more. And I would get like actors point of views on it. And then I would go in really cockily into drama school and I'd be like, well, this person (laughs) said this. And I think everyone was getting slightly sick of me mentioning the word podcast by the end of it. Yeah, you know what though? It's good to be enthusiastic about the things that are that are that are working and that are teaching you. And you know, it's it is good to to talk to actors who may have some sort of opinion or experience on something you've only mm. learned theoretically in class because it really is so different putting things in practice. Um, you know, my husband is is not a trained actor, but he was recently invited to play a small part on our show because I'm on it. No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> I know. I will tell you nothing of this sort. But you've probably seen. You said you're on. You said you were on season eleven. Season eleven, so probably, episode seventeen. You've probably seen his character already because they they've speckled him throughout the last right. few years. His name is Tom Olson. He is um, LL Cool J's or Sam's friend from the Navy SEALs who has a limp and a walking stick. Is he the guy that they put, uh, I can't remember what kind of bomb it was, they put a bomb in his um, car and the car blew up when they were um, the guy was um, targeting ex-Navy SEALs. I'm really yeah. testing your knowledge right yeah. now. Oh, it is. That was, he has a goatee and a walking yes, stick. Yes, because I just watched that episode like... the other night. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. So it, this is a very sort of, this is a very family-oriented show. So it's, you know, me... And my husband, who doubles for his brother, Eric, on the show. Um, And it, you know, one of the writers came up to us one day and he's like, I want to write a part for Dave, your husband. Um, And I was like, oh, you're going to have to ask him. (laughs) So anyway, my point being is that, you know, I just also just sorry to interrupt. I feel like just for context to the listeners, the show we're talking about is NCIS LA. (laughs) Like just just in case anybody (laughs) doesn't know, um, just for context. Sorry for interrupting on you go. Oh, no, you're right. I should have I should have said that. Um, anyway, and it was just interesting because my husband is is not an actor who went to acting school because mm. he's not an actor. He, he did, never considered himself an actor. And he got lucky to get, you know, this little gem on a show that's been long running. And um, like I said, it's sort of a family thing. And and so he really wanted to to do his best to do justice to the show and to do justice to the fact that he was given this wonderful opportunity. And it was really wonderful for me to go back to basics I suppose because he was of course asking he's like there's so many choices that I can pick from when playing this scene how do I know what's the best choice and now I'm having to go back to my own training of thinking well what are the circumstances of this and I'm not I listen none of this is to condescend to him or anybody else like no it is the best way to think about it that's why they teach it that way exactly and I just remember sort of like Oh my gosh, when I was when I was in drama school, so I did performing arts in London. I did my BA yeah. uh, in performing arts in London. Um, and somehow through choices of subjects, I ended up majoring in dance and choreography, which was not my original intention. Love that. Well, I just kind of basically it was like you have theater skills and you have dance skills, and those were the yeah. two major subjects that you could pick from. And then there's a bunch of other electives, like everybody had to have one of those. Yeah. Um and uh, and I didn't know that by dropping one of them during a semester, I wouldn't be able to continue it after that. It had to be continuous because they were the main subjects. Yeah. And so I figured um, in my second year when you had to pick, I said, oh, I'll do dance the first semester and theater the second semester because they're very intense subjects. And lo and behold, once I got to the second one, they're like, what are you doing in the theater class? You can't. And I was like, what do you mean I can't? They're like, well, now you have to stick with dance. And I was like, 
fuck. So stupid. <laughs> it is. But it's, listen, it was fine. I actually grew up dancing and doing gymnastics. So it wasn't something that was a disservice to me, but it was a disservice in the sense that that was not what I had planned. And, you know, mm. that it's a punishment to me for not listening. Um, for not paying I, I feel like they probably should have said that like do you know what i mean like even if they had already said it they should have been like okay you're picking this this is this is for reals like you gotta do this don't know yeah but at some point you have to take the reins yourself and if you screw up you just have to lay in the bed that you've made yourself do you know what i mean so i I I would prefer to blame everyone else Mm. and be bitter about no i'm i was joking like i'm (laughs) i'm I have my issues with drama school. They have been well documented on this podcast. Yeah. I, I dropped out once. Are you sticking with it now that you've gone back? I've graduated. I'm done. Oh, congrats. Thank I'm you. sorry. I, See, I, my attention to detail is not <laughs> I graduated so in May um, <gasps> and I am debating doing a master's. I don't think I want to, but I'm debating it for the student loan. Mm. Well, if if... You, not again there's no part of me that wants to be condescending in anything but having having asked myself that question in the past I have to ask you the same question which is what will that bring you what is it what is your end game do you want well, to practice your craft or do you want to teach and become an academic and maybe have your own acting school okay so here's my question your end game and you may completely disagree with this this is one person's opinion mm. Your end game is to actually use what you've learned and practice yeah. that. Be a working actor is is inserting yourself into a classroom for another one to two years, writing theses and essays yeah. and academically studying acting instead of putting it into practice. Is is that going to help you get the job? I don't want a master's just for the sake of having a master's. There's only one master's program that I want to do. It's in Glasgow and it's in Shakespeare performance. That is like my shit. I'm a Shakespeare, like I'd pick like Shakespeare over anything. And I would look at it the same way as I looked at going back to drama school. I had a lot of shit going back into drama school that I had to deal with putting myself back in that environment. And the way that I got through it was I looked at the, the course curriculum and I looked and saw massive module at the end that was audition and rep where basically our lessons were doing mock auditions with casting agents people who ran theater companies and i sort of looked at it and went i don't really care about the degree whatever i get out of the degree will be useful i care more about meeting all of these really cool people and i think that i would treat it as a networking assignment again but if the people that i might bleep out where it is so they don't know they know that i'm not just coming for a networking opportunity but yeah, I'm debating it. I don't think I will, but there's a part of me that would love to go and just study the bard every day and things. Well, here's the thing. All of that makes sense to me. And when you mm. say it out loud, if it makes sense to you, and I can actually support your um, your wanting to insert yourself in an environment which may be a study, a studious one, but it's also majorly for the purpose of networking because I did the exact same thing. Yeah, I had I had a degree. When I moved to the United States, I had my BA in performing arts. Technically, I wouldn't have to go back to school unless I wanted mm-hmm. to do some, you know, acting, coaching and stuff like that. Um, and yet when I chose to move to New York right after university, I said to myself, what am I going to do all day? I don't know anyone. I don't know how to get an agent. I don't know what the good agent agencies are. 
Um, I don't know any of this stuff. And mind you, the amount of information that exists nowadays by just Googling something is vast compared to what it yeah. was in the beginning of the 2000s, which is when I was running around trying to figure mm. this stuff out. Um, I mean, there was no Google to even figure out what university I should go to. I had to write, you know, I applied through UCAS. Um, I and, love you know, UCAS. I know they're so it's very useful. They're very helpful. And, 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 you know, so I'm ordering prospectuses from all like physical paper prospectuses from all these different places, both in New York and in England. And, and that was the extent of my ability to get a feel for the colleges. And then of course, yeah. my dad was wonderful. Like we spent a weekend, uh, went to England and, and sort of like went around the colleges that I was, uh, unis that I was interested in just kind of to see them in person before you make your sort of final six selection yeah. where to apply. Um, but while but, you're talking uh, about the final six, I just want to say something that I tell everyone because it it was a lesson that I learned, which I feel like everyone needs to learn. When you are doing UCAS, please do not just use the six options for the sake of using the six options. I did that the first time around. I didn't even really research where I was going. I spoke to people who'd been to places and then I was like, oh, this is a really good school. I'll apply to it. But I applied just for the sake of applying. I went to the one that accepted me. I had a terrible time. The second time that I went, I researched where I wanted to go and I only used two of those options. Yeah. So like, please, if you're going to take anything from this podcast, research where you want mm -hmm. to go to drama school because you spend an awful lot of time there. You spend an awful lot of time with the people. You have to make sure it's right for you. I've done it both ways. Once I wanted to kill myself and never work in the industry ever again. <laughs> And the second time I had the best possible time ever and actually made it out with a degree. So research, that's my one tip. Yeah. And I think in this day and age, there really is no excuse to to not research something because the information is so readily available to you. I mean, by I was email. Just lazy. By, well, uh, Oh, I wasn't trying to imply that. No, no, I, I, I still I say that, that at you, you know, you know, I, I was wasted a year of funding. Like I should have researched. Do you know what I mean? Well, but if but if you came out understanding things better and you learned a less valuable lesson, then you know in a weird way it was it was worth going through that. Yeah. Or you can, you know, find find a way to make it worth it. But um, yeah. But it, it's not where where were we in this um in the you were in, about to talk about yeah. the Lee Strasberg well, Institute. I yeah, imagine. Yes. So so basically, I had finished everything, and I and you know I had started working in Portugal when I was sixteen years old, and the way the business works there is its own animal and yeah. even since i've left it's evolved immensely um and changed over time so i i couldn't even really give you an accurate feel for what the business yeah. is there now because i do i sort of speckle work time there as much as i can i have a question um, i want to ask you about it actually but yeah so it's like now i have an agent but when i started i didn't have an agent i remember that my first two jobs i think i negotiated those myself which was a terrible idea because you never want to ask for more when it's for you because you feel like an asshole right? Even if you should be getting more, it's hard to negotiate for yourself. Some people have that capacity. I have friends who are just like bulldogs, like, I don't care. Here's my market value. And this is what I'm asking for. And I was like, I wish that I had that. I don't. And so when I went to England and all of a sudden in the uni degree performing arts, they're sort of giving you workshops and lectures on kind of how the business works as well. And I was like, gosh, this is a completely different animal from the Portugal animal. Yeah. Um, you know, and even the unions and the things that you, that, you know, equity and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and then I come to the US and yet again, you know, there's a reason they call it show business, right? There is an artistry to it, but there is show businesses, mm. its own entity. Um, so anyway, so back to your networking 
uh, uh, statement. I went to the Lee Strasberg school. Of course, I was going to get something out of it. Yeah, 100%. But I could not sit in a rented teeny tiny New York apartment, you know, paying out of my ears to be there and just twiddle my thumbs until something came to me. There's just no such thing. Like you have to go out and get it. So this gave me a chance to network with other actors with to, for the to, to understand what the agencies who the agencies are that you could somehow try and get a hold of and uh you know just to understand how it works here in the united states mind you i have you know i have friends that i met at, at strasburg who also work a ton and we've been friends since way back when since we were all sort of you know struggling actors <laughs> i'm still there <laughs> yeah but it, it listen it happens when it happens do you know what mm. i mean it, it's it's uh it's impossible to predict i can you know you've got situations where you start as a young child and then somehow mm. you grow up a little bit and suddenly no one is interested in you anymore because you're not cute like, anymore and you've grown out of it and mm. you know and then you have people like morgan freeman who didn't hit it big until i think yeah. mistaken, if i'm not mistaken in his 50s I think he was so- 57 someone mentioned that to me earlier and i was like that's not helping <laughs> Well, listen, that wasn't his first movie. No, 100%. On the map, right? And so my point is like, if, if, and this is such a cliche, but it's true, which is you, you combine preparation, you know, with opportunity and, and yeah. you get luck. <laughs> I think when I was coming out of drama school, I was so prepared not to work. I was like, yeah. it's not going to happen. Like, I got an agent the week before I left. I was the only person in my class to oh. leave with an agent. And I was like, cool, like, at least I'm on the stepping stone. Do you know what I mean? I was like, still, like, in the back of my head, I was like, you're going to be on the West End in three weeks. Don't worry about it. But I knew, like, I wasn't going to work. What I wasn't prepared for was the nothingness. Like, when you sit there and you... Why did you off the bat think that you weren't going to work? Because it never happens that you walk out of drama school and book and, like, it never happens like that. Like, it maybe sometimes it does, but statistically, you're not going to walk out of the first week of drama school, go for an audition, and, like, book the job. Like, don't get me wrong, any audition I've ever walked into, I walk in saying, this is my part, and all these cunts in the waiting yeah. room better watch out. <laughs> but what I wasn't prepared for was the nothingness. When you sit up all night emailing casting directors whose shows that you've seen, and don't get a reply. That's what I wasn't ready for. I at least expected, thank you so much for the email. Currently, I'm not doing anything, but I've got your stuff now. But I just wasn't ready for the nothingness. And here's my question. And this is where it's my, um, where I don't know how it works there versus here. But here, for example, if you have representation, that's their job to be emailing casting directors, never yours. Other people that I've spoken to have said that that's weird that I do that. But I also like to network. If I go and see a show and I particularly like it, I will email the director and say, I really loved Beauty and the Beast for talking sake. Got it. It's good to be proactive. I'm Mm. just, it's just interesting because I think if I were to do that, like to to skip my agent, my agent would be mortified. Yeah, we get, we (laughs) get get told to do that. You know, I love that you're proactively writing to people. I really do think that there's value in that. Even if you don't get a response, the fact that you're proactive and Mm. you care that much about your career is already a huge step, right? And you have to be proactive so. with your representation as well, right? I, fortunately for, you know, my agent and I never go too long without speaking. I've been on the same show for now 14 years, right? 
that doesn't mean that that she becomes complacent. Like, oh, she's already in a show. I don't have to worry about mm. her. No, no. At, at least once every two weeks, maybe more than that, we check in with each other. I do want to ask you a quick question, and it it won't be too detailed because it's quite a stupid question. But when I was doing my research, I noticed that you are the voice of Merida in the Portuguese dubbing of Brave. Obviously, um... I'm in Scotland and you're playing a Scottish (laughs) princess. And I wanted to know if when you dub the voice in Portuguese, does she still have a Scottish accent? Okay, no, that's not a stupid question at all. That's a really good question because it was something that weighed heavily on me when I dubbed it at the time. Um, because I think so much of that character and so like if you, if you are from anywhere in the world that has a heavy accent of anything mm-hmm. that is, that informs you of your, that informs who's around you of the culture you come from, of perhaps even to say what kind of food you eat, yeah. you know, it's, if you have a specific accent that will say something to the world who's listening to you. And so now to change languages entirely you know there's no such thing as a scottish accent in portuguese you know what i mean so um so unfortunately no i was not able to sort of translate um that huge personality Mm. character trait to the portuguese side of it um all i could do is sort of take advantage of her sort of you know wildness bravery And I think throughout my life, I've 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 tended to be cast in parts that are kind of like that, the sort of the rebel, the strong woman who's, you know, doesn't matter what you say, I'm going to yeah. go after it anyway, which is probably why we, you and I were just talking about being bold. Because um, I, you know, that sounds like you've a- got a set of balls where I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I grew them over yeah. time. I, I didn't I'm always afraid of hurting people's feelings. And I've realized that. I actually earn more respect by being honest. And there's a way yeah. to, you don't have to be a jerk to be honest. There's so many, you 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 know, if somebody, if somebody looks like shit in a pair of pants, I'm not going to tell them you look like shit. I'm going to say like, I love the color of those pants. Have you tried these other ones? Now if I'm taking every scared. compliment you've given, gave me and I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I believe, I believe in finding the green flags, not the red ones. Like people's, you know, the, 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 if you are kind and you receive people with open arms, and I can only apply this, uh, uh, like as an example, I can tell you, for example, you know, when you're on a show for 14 years, that is your home. Yeah. And when a guest actor comes onto your show, imagine you're inviting someone into your home. Am I going to stay seated and put my feet up and be like, you know, figure out where the kitchen is? Or am I going to say, have a seat? Can I get you something? Mm. Where did you come from? What's your name? What, what, you know, what, what do you have a family that you go home to? Whatever the questions yeah. are, but I love, I like to be honest and make people feel comfortable. And I, I truly believe that that will bring out their best colors and they're going to do their best if they feel better. Yeah. Um, and so, that. and I think the same applies with, with being honest You, in the sense that like, I think people misconstrue honesty for uh, what's the word sort of like a slap in the face. Like yeah. here's the truth about you I can be very truthful without hurting your feelings because there's always going to be something good about everyone that you can bring up and then like hey and then there's this other thing that maybe you know maybe we can work on this together whatever it is yeah it is it's it's mad isn't it yeah Mm. I think it's uh, yeah not to get astrological or anything (laughs) my my Sagittarius trait of being overly honest with people 
see i'm like i don't know much about like astrology or anything like that but i know i'm the opposite to my star sign what are you what are you? i'm an aries <gasps> you're and supposed I, to be baldy yep supposed to like be able to do whatever the fuck i want and i still find myself being like i'm not gonna say that because um i'd rather just put in the extra work than have somebody do what they're supposed to be doing anyway do you know what i mean but I think it's also maybe comes down to the fact that the, the relationship's just not there, going back to what we were talking about before. And I think that it might have been different. And I can tell, like, my my best friend, this play, we wrote that together and we put it on over locked, uh, when lockdown finished and stuff. And I can turn around and we both sort of have this, like, pact that we still friends after it, no matter what happens. Yeah. And sometimes I will turn around and say, that's a stupid fucking idea. We're not doing it like because we direct it ourselves and stuff but i think when the relationship's not really there i'm a bit like i'm sorry for being in your way like there we are everybody goes through the trajectory they go through in the beginning Mm. right every everybody's you know i could tell you right now that when i started working i was a complete doormat can you do this absolutely can you be here at this time absolutely you're only gonna get three hours sleep no problem i'll be there because you don't you're afraid to say no you're afraid they won't want you back you're afraid to be considered difficult and all that stuff and especially as a woman or as an actor like actors already have a bad reputation of being difficult at times right and you know just sort of like oh he doesn't come out of his trailer or they're late to work or whatever some of them are difficult undoubtedly so (laughs) but it's you know when someone is like oh you you walk out of your trailer immediately oh you're never late wow and i was like that shouldn't be something that impresses you that should be the norm common decency it's like we're all lucky to be here and we're all fucking replaceable Uh, and unfortunately some people think they're not replaceable but trust me we're all replaceable i'm a fan of abby lee miller i've known that for years really yeah do you watch dance moms uh no (laughs) do you like like trashy reality tv shows no never mind But if you ever if you ever do need a fix, yeah, at some point I found them amusing. But I think I've I I I mean now I have a you know kids of my own and my daughter does go to dance class. Nothing like those those aggressive more aggressive competitive shows. It's my daughter's six. The reason I brought that up is just her tagline is everyone's replaceable. Yeah, but 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 that's true though, and that's true, and that's not necessarily something that should scare people into doing anything she says. But it's but don't be an asshole. You know, do the job. You know, to me, where it really sunk in was um, in the show Criminal Minds, right at the beginning. I'm a huge fan of Manny Patinkin um, is, you know, not only obviously the, the choices of characters he's made throughout his career. I love them. But um, but I, I love procedural shows and I, I used to watch Criminal Minds. And when he left Criminal Minds, I was like, how do you continue mm. the show without Manny Patinkin? Yeah. No. And they found someone else who was also a wonderful actor and who kept the show going for whatever, however many more years that it went. But that's how I feel about NCIS LA, right? Okay, so I'm I'm watching it right now and I'm at the point, I'm at the point where everybody keeps talking about leaving, right? I know they're still there because I saw the picture on your Instagram story, but like, Callan's like, I might take Hetty's job. Um, Sam's like, I think I'm just going to disappear forever. Uh, you and, um, oh my God, what's his name? What's his name? Deeks, Deeks, I got there. You're talking about going off and having kids, and I'm like, no, none of you better fucking leave. Oh, you're oh, I can't ruin it for you. The whole kids, the whole the whole kids talk. I will not ruin it for you. Do you have kids? 
Am I going to be like a little crybaby? I'm not telling you. I'm um, not telling you. I'm very I, I'll tell you if you want me to tell you, but I don't think I yeah, should. Yeah, tell me. Tell me. Just spoil it. Just spoil it for me. Tell me. They don't have their... They don't have biological kids, put it that way. That's, uh, do you know what? I think that's almost even more perfect. That's what I thought, too. I, I honestly, it was... It was one of those interesting things where it's like, okay, the characters, they're like, banter, 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 flirt, flirt, flirt. Will they, won't they? Will they, won't they? Okay, they finally did. Okay, they finally got married. And now what about kids? And once we got to the kids conversation, I remember, you know, with our uh, showrunner, Scott Gemmel, who is wonderful. I adore Mm -hmm. the man. You know, we were all like, how are we going to do it? Because here's, here's the thing. We have here in the US, especially, we have a big military or law enforcement following, right? Yeah. And there are plenty of families where both parents are military or both parents are law enforcement or the mother is in particular. So how do you represent those families by both parents being law enforcement without without saying, oh, well, if you have kids, then at least one of them shouldn't be in law enforcement anymore because you're both risking yeah. their lives every day, potentially. Um, when there are plenty of moms and dads who go and do their law yeah. enforcement job and then come home to their kids. I don't, you would never, ever want to criticize that family's choice yeah. Um, because there's nothing to criticize, right? That is a family choice that works for them. So it's like, how do you, how do you, what do we decide to do as characters that we're not going to hurt someone's feelings? And also doesn't take you out of the show for the length of the character's pregnancy. Yeah. It doesn't take us, one of us out of the show. Um, And so we sort of actually ended up exploring a completely different avenue, which also represents a huge population of families, which is infertility. Um, And to watch the characters amidst solving cases going through infertility and what that does physically to the woman, what that that does emotionally to both parents, what that does psychologically and the feeling of inadequacy and the feeling of like, I'm always one step ahead of everyone in the case and you know my job is to know what's going on and i can't figure out my own fucking body yeah and so that journey and i've you know i have uh uh, one of my best friends went through fertility process um with her wife and you know she i i very much leaned on her for how she was feeling and how what it did to them on an emotional level and it was so funny because i i spoke to her right i had to do this sort of mini monologue of, of how i was feeling in a scene with with Nell and um and I called her right before and I said tell me about this 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 and this and she did and right mm-hmm. after I hung up the phone they knocked on my trailer door and I went and I did that monologue it aired on tv my friend saw it she goes Danny that was exactly how I felt I was like honey I had just gotten off the phone with you I was literally <laughs> emulating everything you said to me and she was like really I was like yes yeah. you're my news you're my inspiration I fucking I love this show yeah, it, I really appreciate that. I really, because it's, you kind of, it. you never stop acknowledging how lucky you are, but there is a numbness that sets in. Yeah, well, you um, have to sort of disassociate yourself from fandoms. Oh, uh, it's, it's not uh, even but, No, but if you continue thinking about how much people love you every second of the day, that's going to get overwhelming. You know, I didn't even mean numbness in regards to that. That's something that's, that's, I I will, I will always accept the love because it it comes from a beautiful place. And I can give you an example of something in a second, but the numbness is in terms of like, what does this show feel like? I don't know anymore. Cause I've, I've, it's like, what does your life feel like, Danny? I don't know. I've been living it for so long. Like you're in it. Your kids are so big. Are they? 
I see them every day. I don't necessarily yeah. notice the, the inch by inch growth. Do you know mm. what I mean? But um, we, uh, of course, with COVID and everything, we weren't able to do such things. But, you know, the, the few times that I've been to Comic-Cons, for example, yeah, there was there's there's always uh, uh, stories from people who who have emotional attachments to the show. But one young lady in particular, who's probably in 20 years old now, but at the time she was about 14 um, and she came and we signed her whatever she gave us to sign pictures. And uh, and she says, you know, your show is really special to me. And I said, why is it special to you? And she said, well. I started watching it with my dad and we would watch it every single whatever day it was on in her country. I said, that's lovely. And she goes, yeah, my dad passed away a few months ago and I still sit down to watch it because your show is my connection to him. I fucking lost it. I started yeah. to cry. I was like, you can't, you know. We're never canceling this show. Well, it, it's, it's, listen, doctors will always be more important than actors. You know, yeah. there are certain professions that will will forever be more important teachers who should be paid more than actors you know but but at the end of the day what is entertainment what is movie what is actors what is what is storytelling all it is is a connection to other humans right because no matter what it is that you do somebody's going to find a connection to it that means something to them and if you know when we go visit hospitals you know you know, we with CBS, for example, which is the air is the is the network yeah. that airs show here. You know, every year we we in Christmas we go visit the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. We take presents and blah blah blah. Yeah, there's publicity. Yeah, there's that aspect of it of like bringing attention to the shows. And but when you walk in there, and I would actually argue that a lot of the younger kids don't even know who we are, but the parents light up. Yeah, and when you're so focused on your kids, where all of your energy goes into making sure your child is is feeling okay when you become a parent if you decide to you'll realize that your happiness is not there unless they're happy like you're yeah. only as happy as the most unhappy child um and so like if you can put a grin or a smile on anyone's face because you do some shit and you act like a superhero if it, even if in your own life you know you feel like the worst parent on the planet yeah days, things aren't so great it, it's just all worth it it's all mm. worth it you know mm. just when you mentioned comic cons there i would just like to put it out into the universe um I i've never been to one because not many of my favorite shows go to them but if um any in the uk want to book the cast of ncis la i'll buy a ticket like, <laughs> i'll just say that, that. we've done uh, london before we've done london i tend I to stay away from london it's not really my city goodness it's I'm too busy young. i can't walk along I can't walk along just... My mum doesn't live city centre. She lives just outside of London. But I was there in June. I had an audition and I was walking along the street and felt like I couldn't just walk. I had to run. Like, just because it's so busy. Like, I hated it. I was like, no. That's hilarious. I That's one of my favourite parts of London is, no. is the rush rush. And that's why I actually... I think I'm a bigger fan of New York than I am of LA just because it's... I don't know. Maybe I, that's I, why I, I don't like New York and love LA. There you go. <laughs> but a question that I do want to very quickly ask you before we rewind and go back to NCIS later is, do they stop fucking with you and Deeks? Because I'm quite sick of it. Like, uh, I just watched the episode where he gets locked in the room with the bomb. And I don't think I can put myself through much more of that. Can I tell you something? Uh-huh. He wrote that episode. 
I know he's fucking ridiculously talented. It makes me feel ill. Such a good writer. His concept of rising tension and conflict mm. and conflict resolution is is quite spectacular. He's mm. a very very creative man. Um, yeah, he wrote himself into that room. So can't. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna need that to stop because <laughs> I, I can't really put myself through it. But I do want to very quickly talk to you about drama school because you did um you trained over in the UK at the London Metropolitan University. One of my favorite things in the world are crazy, funny drama school stories. They fuel my life. We're gonna play a game about them in a minute. Do you have a story that you can share with us? I think you're gonna be really disappointed. Um, I, I love these no matter what. So like Well no, it's not I'd say you're gonna be disappointed because it's not necessarily like a story of something that happened. For one, you must acknowledge that my college years were 15, 18, 17 years ago. What year did you graduate? I graduated in 2005. I was seven. I do like making people feel old. Somebody mentioned the other day they left a job in 1998 1997 and i was like wasn't born yet still swimming from oh no i can't say that that's i probably wasn't it was like a year and a half before i was born but i do like (laughs) i have this like impending sense of doom in regards to growing old so i like to make people who are older than me feel older because it makes me feel better do you know what do you know what age does to you as an actor that you will not find as a young man what it gives you gravitas no one young has fucking gravitas I as I age, I become such a better actor mm. because my perception of of emotions, of the complexity of emotions, everything. Yeah. Like after having become a mom, um, so that was a mix between mum and mom. I but, love it. I'm uh, here for it. <laughs> a mommy. No, after becoming <laughs> a mom, like my feelings have have the intensity of my feelings yeah. have grown. My sadness is sadder. My anger is angrier. My happiness is happier than it ever was. Um, and now I'm able to apply that. Like if if I can, I, I don't know. I think maybe it's also like my perception of my empathy. Yes, yeah. I've always, I think I've always been an empath, empathic person, but um, my ability to be more of an empath because because I have to be. I have to be patient yeah. with my having a tantrum because i can't just say you're being ridiculous even though i do at times say that not the best thing a parent should say but i do <laughs> I admit um but you know there are times where you're just like oh for fuck's sake it's just a ball like who cares but it matters to them yeah so i have to sit and say tell me about this and why did this make you upset and let me give you a little bit of perspective and let me tell you something that happened when i was a kid yeah and so you know every year that you get older is a year of more experiences and a year of more experiences is more tools in your little bag for acting yeah so um there is literally this whole thing of like oh women shouldn't say how old they are i'm I'm always like let me tell you how old i am and how wonderful i feel yeah um like for example so i turned i turned 39 in december this year and (laughs) i'm not even 39 yet and i'm already planning on what i'm going to give myself for my 40th birthday which is just over a year away. What are you giving yourself? A triathlon. Love that. I'm going to do, I've always done the Malibu triathlon, which is to raise money for the children's hospital every year, but I've always done it as a relay with yeah. my husband and we always get a friend. So my husband swims, he can do the whole thing, but yeah. he like plays along with me. Um, he, he, he swims, uh, we get a friend to do bike riding and then I do the running portion. 
And just last year, I, I just, you know, all of a sudden I was like, you know what, I'm going to turn 40. I'm perfectly physically capable. The only reason I don't do the whole thing is because I don't give my time myself the time to train for it. Yeah. Cause you know, and so I have decided that that is my birthday present to myself, like to get to the apex of my physical health or in shape um, at the age of 40. We are two completely different people. I bought myself a blender for my birthday this year so I could make myself Kinder Bueno milkshakes. <laughs> like, we are two. Protein shape, something like, a, we put some spinach and some yummy things in there and you're like, nope, Kinder nope. Bueno. Milk, ice cream, <laughs> milk, vanilla ice cream, Kinder Bueno's best thing in the world. But your your drama school story, I'm excited to hear it. Oh, well, here's the thing. The the what you asked was either the funniest or the craziest thing. Yeah. And and so I have to be honest with you, I don't fully remember any specific stories. So yeah. I will do what I thought was the craziest thing, which is probably not what you're expecting, because it's not a story, but the craziest thing I ever thought was the people that go to drama school thinking that it's an easy way out. I agree so much. Not I, I... I've experienced that on so many levels, but it happened in secondary school. I went to mm-hmm. secondary school in the northeast of England, working class mining village. Think Billy Elliot, the film. And yeah. the amount of absolute idiots that were like, I'm just going to pick GCSE drama because I don't have to do any work. Boy, did they get a shock. Surprise! Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, and we're, I mean, listen, and, and I'm, I was even referring to, I wish there had been GCSE drama in my school when I was, uh, when I went, my dog's barking, let me just. Oh, good. I, I like to um recount a story. Wait. I like to tell the story when everyone mentions their dog. Very early on in the process, I had an actress on the show whose dog jumped up onto her laptop mid-conversation and took a shit on her laptop. <laughs> so, <laughs> please do not worry about your dog barking. <laughs> I have a massive German Shepherd. If you jumped on my computer and took a shit, it was quite a large dog. What? And I watched this happen. What? It was a bit mad. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And then did her computer just not work anymore? No, she didn't touch it, but continued to have this conversation with me. But I could just constantly see her eyes flicker down to what I imagined was this massive shit (laughs) on her keyboard. And I was like, this is not going well. But don't worry, if you're listening, I've still never told anyone who you are, so we'll keep that a secret. Oh my lord. No, she, whoever that, she or he, whoever is that person, they need to, like, save that story for a talk show. But we're going to play a game now, because we've been talking about drama school stories. This is my favourite game in the world. It's called Stage Right or Stage Shy, and it's three stories that revolve around (laughs) drama school or acting, things like that. They're crazy. And they have been sent in by listeners. Two of them are true, and one of them has been made up by our producer, Hev, and it's a big fat lie. I've got the answer in a sealed envelope with your name on it, so we can play along together. This is my favourite thing in the world. I read these earlier, and they're great. I don't know which one's the lie. So it's our job to find out which one is the fake one, which one's stage shite. There's one so I say shite is the fake one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. okay. Number okay. one. Number one. I used to charge my classmates £20 to write a 1,000 word essay. I also sold all of my essays to someone in the year below me for £500 when I left. Number two. The only agent that arranged to meet me after my showcase was one that only wanted to know if I was interested in doing porn. Number three. One of my students had a really annoying habit of turning up 10 minutes late to class every day. So I, in air quotes, lost his professionally recorded showcase scene. No clue. 
I want to say that why is there a pawn guy that I used to charge my classmates 20 pounds to write a 1000 word essay. I also sold all of my essays to someone in the year below me for 500 pounds when I left. I'm edging towards number two. I'm saying number one is shite. Mm. What, what college student has 500 pounds? <laughs> oh, if it's a beginning of the year, we get a double payment of student loans and we get like 1800 quid. And you're spending a third of that? Well, if it's all your essays, that I would maybe see that as a good investment. I would write the essays because I was capable of doing it. But if you wanted to party and stuff, I don't know. I'm leading towards number two purely I'm because it your showcase is like 18, 19-year-old people. And I just think it's a bit seedy that someone would ask. We don't have to agree that somebody is going there purely to know if kids want to do, well, they're not kids, but young adults want to do porn. Maybe I've been living in the US for too long, but that's <laughs> perfectly plausible. <laughs> You Are they a number politician? One. <laughs> Was that Asian <laughs> also a politician? <laughs> it's Rishi Sunak. Um, I'll I'll go for number two. You can go for number one. Let's see. Number two. Oh God. You, you were. Ah! I was. I was right. You were. I couldn't remember <laughs> that. I never get it fucking right. That's a shock. <laughs> that that is a shock to me. I would not have five hundred pounds to spend. Well, um, nobody did I, apparently. I, oh no, I they did. Sorry. I didn't get the loan. It was, I was, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get the loan because I was also foreign. So coming oh. in from Portugal, but, but nonetheless, I think that I would have, I would have been like 500 pounds. I no, loved I'm that student loan. I used to count the days down. I was like, give me the money. <laughs> <laughs> like as much as I can get. I want to ask you a fun question now. If you could pick anyone in the world to do a two-hander with in the West End or Broadway, but the West End, because I want to come and see it, they have to be alive. Who are you picking? Wait, but you're you're asking, I, I so it could be any. It has to be like a West End or a Broadway no, actor. I don't know no, a whole like lot of any actor in the world that is still alive. Who do you want to do a show with? Oh, I have so. It's hard to pick just one. There are so many amazing actors out there. Someone like Anne Hathaway would be amazing to work with. Or somebody like Joaquin Phoenix. Somebody like Dustin Hoffman in, is is in uh, numerous of my yeah. all time favorite movies and so i think that he would be really interesting to work with oh there's so many names both very cliche like meryl streep like why wouldn't you want to work with meryl there's so many incredible actors out there and there's oh my gosh michael shannon would be so like intense and cool to work with maybe on something more dramatic and there's there's a lot there's a lot yeah. I, I mean the first person that came to my mind was anne hathaway just because i don't know her personally at all but i love how she's evolved as an actress throughout the years like i can yeah. see growth happening in all the projects i like what she i like the projects that she chooses the characters she chooses i follow her on social media and i think she's an exceptionally intelligent woman and so um i don't know there's just i think i think her and i i think we have fun working together it's a, <laughs> but there's a lot of people that i would kill to work with on a creative level i have to carry on my campaign purely more now because it has to happen at some point um one of my childhood heroes, Catherine Tate. Oh, <gasps> bothered. Do you know how much, like, my love for you has just, like, went up? <laughs> like, we were already at quite a high level. <laughs> any American that I mentioned Catherine Tate to goes straight to... Oh, uh, I mean, you're not American. You you spent a lot of time in Europe, so of course you know that uh, am I bothered. But... I bothered. Look at my face. Am I bothered? Face? Bothered? No. No. Regarding mon visage, regarding mon visage. That mon is visage. my favourite, that's one of my favourite sketches. The French class, the French M lesson. My all-time favourite one is the one with David Tennant, where she does the Shakespeare stuff. 
But you ain't even English, though. You ain't even English, though. Amos I Bothered. Amos I Bothered, my liege. It's the best thing in the world. Catherine Tate, please come on the podcast because I know that the West End show is a long way off and that, and that you would make me look like a piece of shit, but I'm totally at peace with that. Like, I'm good with that. Do you know what I mean? Like... Stop being negative. You would not look like a piece of shit because you would you would feed off of each other and you would learn from her and you would grow. You I, cannot, I, don't, I think I, I'd be starstruck. I think I'd about, be like a deer in headlights. Yeah, probably for the first week and then it would go away because then you're like, oh, I'm seeing this person every day yeah. and like whatever. Um, You're going to promise me something. Yeah. You are going to promise me that you will not be negative towards yourself anymore. I will say... First and foremost, I've got to film an audition tomorrow. I know I'm a good actor. Like, good. Like, stay I know that what I can do is what I can do. And I like to stay in my own lane and I've achieved great things. When it comes to Catherine Tate, <laughs> I would look like a piece. And I'm at peace with that. Do you know what I mean? Like, Fair that's enough. okay. As long as- as long as you can recognize the the, the positives in yourself and yeah, be 100%. louder, louder about that. Okay, good. Like, Does that I'm, matter? One thing I've realized in this industry is that you definitely have to be, at the beginning at least, you have to be your biggest fan and you have to be your biggest advocate and you, you more importantly, have to shout from the rooftop what you're good at to get noticed. Yes, exactly. Like I, I, I agree. I know it's what not- I'm good at. I know what I'm bad at. But like what I would consider my best work if it, yep. Catherine Tate came on and was my stage partner for that best work, all of a sudden I'd probably con- contemplate giving up acting. <laughs> and I, I, I'm good with that. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I do, I want to talk to you very quickly about NCIS because I know we're taking up some time now. Yeah, um, totally I, I want to ask the question that I want to ask the least first because then you can decline to answer it or not because it sort of blurs the line of personal thoughts and okay. professional jobs. Obviously, in the US, especially over the past couple of years, there's been a lot of debate around law enforcement and how good they are and how bad they are. And there's obviously the ACAP movement, things like that. How how do you navigate playing a police officer? Because first and foremost, you don't really you're not out there being a police officer in real life and that you don't have these motivations or thoughts in in your own personal life. But especially through such a tumultuous time of the law enforcement's public um, reputation, how are you navigating playing a police officer? And please feel free to decline to comment. No, that's that's an excellent question, actually. Um, I think first and foremost, it's important to um, hang a lamp on the fact that there are phenomenal law enforcement agents yep. in life out there who do good, who mean good, who want to do good, who who don't agree with the sort of police brutality that that yeah. we've been seeing in the news and it's captured on people's phones and everything there. And, and fortunately, I would say there's more of them than there are of the rotten apples, right? I think the biggest thing is that there are certain professions where being a rotten apple is a bigger deal than other yeah. ones. Like if you're a rotten apple on a, on a movie set, it sucks, but you're not hurting anyone, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a rotten apple uh, as, a, as a plane, as a pilot of a commercial, air, commercial airline, that's a huge deal because yeah. you're going to take that plane, right? So it, it's it's. I'd like to first and foremost acknowledge that there are exceptional law enforcement agents, men and yeah. women in all capacities in all different departments that deserve to be recognized. And unfortunately, they are getting shit 
um, because everybody's clumping law enforcement, law enforcement together. Yeah. Second of all, I believe that our showrunner, our show, us as actors, I think we are good at risk. When you're on for this long, you can't ignore what's going on around you, right? Yeah. You can't ignore that there is an issue with police brutality. You can't ignore um, that there, that, that, that there, that racism exists. You can't ignore these things. And so for us, I think it's a fine line between we're the feel good show. People don't come yeah. to us to watch a, a fictitious version of the news they're watching yeah. every depressing them. People come to us for a happy ending and to, and to feel good, but we can't ignore what's going on around us. And so our show's response to all of those things that were happening. I mean, we were the, the show that would you know, my first season, I think my character killed two people. By the second season, she had shot 23 of them, albeit all bad guys, so to speak, right? But it was always like a big shootout where somebody died. When all of this happened, you, I don't know, maybe because you're, you're living in England and so you won't be able to see the parallel between reality and like how the show has shifted. Yeah. And also you started watching it um, two weeks like, ago, two weeks ago, and somehow you're already on season 11, which is very impressive. Our show also shifted with 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 the awareness of what was going on. So you'll find that in later seasons, we don't kill as many people. We try to bring them in and arrest them. Explosions yeah. still happen. There may still be gunfights, but you can see a huge transition in how we try to end yeah. the situation rather than just shoot everybody. Yeah. Right? I think um, that's even happening a little bit more now where i am um yeah i've I've noticed that you're not killing as many people yeah i mean and i, I and I, I that transition i think happened as a response mm. to what was going on in real life because you have to respect what's happening around you mm. you know we um i think our show really tries to be on the right side of history and it's not to be yeah. show off it's not to be like oh look look what we're changing it's not that it's not a self-righteous thing it's these things are happening and we yeah. need to respond right? Art emulates life, life emulates art. It's it's kind of a give and take. And so, you know, we had an episode on uh, Asian American hate, for example, because for a while when COVID started, like you had all these horrible situations happening where anybody of Asian descent was yeah. being beat up. Like it was, un, it was just unfathomably crazy. stupid happening and crazy, you know, and you, just, we don't ignore those things. Mm. Um, you can't ignore those things. So, yeah, I think, I mean, I hope I answered your question. I would like to say thank you for answering that question. Oh, but, you know, but you you gave me the option to not answer the question. Um, Just when you were talking there about the show wanting to give people happy endings, I would never normally say this, but because you're here, I'm going to say it. There's one episode that I hated the ending of, and I would like you to maybe revisit it. When Sam's wife dies? No, like, I, I thought that was okay. Like, you know, it suited the storyline. The episode that I hated the ending of... It's a very niche episode. It was when, remember when they started cutting everyone up and making like a person with like somebody's <laughs> torso and then somebody else's arms. Body stitchers. Yes. Body stitchers. By the way, bit... there's a follow-up to that this season in season 14. It's okay, episode two. That's what I want. I was like, I was episode like, because it ended and I was like, they didn't catch them. And, but we know who it is. And like, I was so annoyed after that. Do you know who it is? Is it not the people that you spoke to? In the garage. Do you know who it is? Okay, so I'm now for the next couple of days speed watching NCIS LA to find out. Because that was the one episode where I've sat back and I thought I could have used more with that one. Like Yeah, but, but isn't that the beauty of planting seeds 
and then just letting them flourish. Mm. Maybe if we'd have done this interview in two weeks time, I'd have seen that and we'd have never brought it up. Um, (laughs) Obviously the show's been running for so long. How much have you stole from the set? You can also feel free to decline to answer. My gosh, no, here's the, no, no, no. I, I, um, I accidentally made a switch. How about that? Um, so, so our, our head of wardrobe is wonderful. And I think when you've been playing a character for so long, it would be very difficult to have a wardrobe that completely did not fit. Yeah. You, right. You have to be comfortable. It's the character's skin. And I think anybody who knows me and has seen the show will know that Kenzie and I are pretty damn similar when it comes to sense of humor and all this stuff, you know? And so our, our head of wardrobe, Hannah, she's wonderful. And she introduced a brand of boots that I had never worn before. And I love them and I wear them all the time. And so I bought some in my own life. I bought some for myself. And lo and behold, I get home the other day and I, I look, I take off my shoes and I look down to take off my socks and I go, why do my shoes say Kenzie inside of them? (laughs) And it says Kenzie hero. So basically I have, we usually have multiples of wardrobe or of shoes. Kenzie Hero means those are the shoes that I wear day to day. They're not the secondary pair that maybe their stunt double uses or that if those get lost or dirty, I have the secondary backup. Yeah. So like, why Why is the inside of my shoe say Kenzie Hero? So I accidentally left my shoes at work. And have, <laughs> in fact, I think I have Kenzie Hero shoes here because my I brought the black ones home, <laughs> my black ones there. Anyway, but um, no, and then sometimes they leave, you know, they leave hoodies in the trailer for when it gets a little chilly in the morning and I've accidentally like worn it home. And never taken it back. <laughs> and no, I, I I do have things tagged for stealing when the show is over though. Is it is it set to end? No, no, I'm oh, just, right. no, no, I was no, like, no. don't do this to me. <laughs> no. What I'm have you got saying, your eye on? There's this leather jacket with a sewn in um like hoodie hood thing um but the zippers make too much noise for sound so I don't wear it that much on the show and so I wanted to buy a matching one but they they were out it was a different season and different uh, season for the store so I was like Hannah can we like put a tag on that one so I can buy it from you at the end or have it or whatever because the thing is when a show is finally over they sort of put all of those uh, some sometimes uh, the network will have like a really, really cheap, you know, auction. Not au- it's not an auction. It's just kind of like, hey, the NCISLA wardrobe is, you know, and stuff is going to be on sale on Friday afternoon. Oh, do they and- do that with you? Because here in the UK, from what I've heard, when an actor leaves a show, they get to take all their wardrobe with them. I don't know. No one's left the show. We'll I mean, implement no- that. I'll phone the showrunner tomorrow and I'll be like, when when it's done, just give them it all. I'm sure they can give us some. I mean, I wouldn't want everything anyway. There's, there's, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, it's 14 <laughs> stuff. Yeah, and true. But every pair of jeans I have, there's at least five of them in different sizes. For me, for my stunt double who needs to put padding under the thing, you know. Yeah. What Have you got a favorite behind the scenes moment that we wouldn't necessarily know about? Oh, wait, no. I have stolen something from set. My husband's heart. that's a terrible joke it it was I will agree I will agree see Um, that was a tense moment not funny at all (laughs) 
<laughs> um, yeah, so have you got like a favourite behind the scenes moment from the show that none of us would necessarily know about? Oh man, you're going to have to make me scroll through 14 years. Oh, there's plenty <laughs> moments oh my gosh i always feel like i'm so boring at these kind of questions because people are hoping for like a big laugh of oh my gosh i didn't know that and i'm just this has been a great episode i'm just gonna say very excited for people to listen to it um thank you the thing is there are moments but i'm just like am i allowed to tell them you don't have to mention anyone's names anything like that you don't have to incriminate anyone else I won't, I won't mention anybody's names then. Okay. And I'm so, also slightly recording in advance. So if you do want anything taken out of the episode, your agent's got my email. I'll quite happily take anything you want out. Uh, no, I'll tell the story without mentioning any names. Um, so basically, we this was we were on set. We were in the bullpen and we were sitting at our desks and stuff like that. And um, one of the lead actors on our show had been on the cover of a magazine. And it was cool. And we had him like, oh, you look great. It looks so nice and all this stuff. That actor decided to make an arrangement with the props department. And they took the likeness of another actor on our show and put it on the back of a magazine with like a protein powder as if they were campaigning for this brand of protein powder. The actor on the back of the magazine didn't know that this was obviously a prank. He thought that that, magazine had used his likeness or that brand had used his likeness without his permission so we're reading it we're reading it and i go oh my gosh this is so funny look he's on the front and you're on the back that's awesome he's like let me see that for a second i was like it's great it's such a good picture of you dude that's awesome i didn't know that you represented that brand of protein he was like let me see that (laughs) (laughs) camera like everybody's doing this because everybody knows right we're all like this so the actor on the front who or you know orchestrated yeah. this whole thing. like is that not did you not sign a contract for that and the other one's like no no i didn't like what what the fuck what the heck i can't believe that this brand and the guy who orchestrated goes you should man you should call your lawyers that's amazing he goes <laughs> and he starts to make the call Please tell me it was intercepted. Uh, I think that this was so many years ago. I think that it was intercepted. But the point is the actor who was pranked went, rightfully so, went ballistic. I've got two more questions for you. One is very specific because it's what I ask everybody who lives in LA. LA is my favorite city in the world. Can you give me a recommendation for somewhere to go the next time I come back? Do you like sightseeing or would you say an activity or what would you like? In what vein would you be looking for? Anything that you want. Anything that you want. I'm trying to like come up with the most random scattered sort of timetable other than me banging on every agent's door in LA going, please, please take me, please. (laughs) I mean, listen, the most sort of, iconic places would be something like the the La Brea Tar Pits or um, have you heard that one already? I've never been. Okay so the the La Brea or has anybody recommended that to you? No I've only asked this once before and they said it was a park in Riverside with a really good view apparently I can't remember what the park was I'd have to listen to it again. Riverside would it be Griffith would it would it be Griffith Park or um... possibly I'd have to listen to the yeah have to listen to it there's Griffith there's 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 uh, the Griffith Observatory. Um, I've been there. I've been there. Okay. So you've been there. Mm. I think that's um, that. Uh, La Brea Tar Pits is very well known. Um, if you would like to pick your own vegetables, there is Underwood Farms in Moore Park. The one tourist thing that I didn't do the last time, which I really fucking regret, is I never went to Beverly Hills. I never went and seen the sign. What? I never done all that. 
it's another story for another day. We didn't go. The Hollywood sign. Did I done the Hollywood sign. Park? We went to um Lake Hollywood Park and we got mm-hmm. pictures. Um, but the Beverly Hills sign, I haven't seen that one. The one that's like at the fountain. You want to know something interesting? The Hollywood sign is privately owned. Yeah. Which means that if you do a movie in which it is photographed, you have to pay for that. It's a bit silly. Well, it's kind of genius. Well, super genius if you're <laughs> the owners. Um, yeah. But I know this because we were shooting, because so I work at Par- out of Paramount Studios and we we were shooting something in the parking lot at Paramount Studios. And because we were on one of the higher levels outdoors, you could see the Hollywood sign in the back. And um, which now that I say that out loud, I realize how fucking cool that is. Um, <laughs> it's like, I actually drive by the Hollywood sign every day. Anyway, um, and I remember that in our prep, oh, this was, so I also started directing on our show. So Yes, I did see that. Yeah, but I so, was like saw scripts and I was like, ah, get away. I don't <laughs> want to see anything. When you get to season 13, episode 19 was written by Deeks, written by Eric, and directed by me. That's cool as fuck. Yeah, partnered up, boop, fist bump. Um <laughs> anyway. that is cool. Like that's kind of goals, isn't it? It was it was it was very fun to do. Um, I was both terrified and excited at the same time because I was like, he's my brother-in-law, he's my friend. Like, are we just gonna end up butting heads with each other because we're so comfortable with each other. Are you brothers-in-law in real life? Oh, wait, you didn't know that? Oh, I'm sorry. I think I thought I mentioned it earlier. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. That's mad. So my husband is his brother. My <laughs> mind is blown. I did not know uh, this. Uh, yes. Eric and I spend Christmases and Thanksgivings and beach days. <laughs> That's mad. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric and I, so I met, I met, Eric joined us at the end of season one, I suppose, like became a regular character on the show, I think was in season two. Um, And my husband, David, um, is his stunt double. So at some point he joined us, you know, on set and stuff like that. And um, Eric introduced us and the rest is history. And now we've been married for eight years together for almost 12 and two children. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that's mad i love that i want yeah, to tell you a, last name olsen that has oh not opinion. popped up anywhere that when i've been doing my research i'm not gonna lie to you and i have done extensive research yeah no that's because publicly and professionally i maintained uh, my last name my yeah. maiden name i was like but you just said that and i was like did she make a mistake i was like did yeah. she mean like on the show but I want to, before we wrap everything up, because I know your children are at school and we're probably getting close to the time that you need to leave. I want to tell you a very yeah. just funny story yes. about my time in LA. So mm-hmm. as you have possibly gathered while we've been doing this, I cannot say no to people. And we were walking <laughs> along Hollywood Boulevard and we passed the Scientology church and they were like, oh, come in and do this, come in and do this. And we sort of got away from them a couple of days and then they finally got us in right and they made us do this fucking questionnaire and we're sat here going through it me and my friend jess was doing this the 10 yes every time you talk there's so much tension and we're doing this questionnaire they've separated me and my friend so i'm like oh my god like are we about to be killed or abducted and my friend done this questionnaire a lot quicker than i did but i um set my phone alarm off 
and said it was my ringtone and answered and was like, hey, I'm really sorry. This is my hotel. My hotel room has been broken into. I need to leave and I need to take my friend with me because I was like, I I need to get out of this place. And then I walk in to get my friend and they're telling her, oh, you're suicidal, but we have a course that can teach you how not to be suicidal. Oh my gosh. And I was like, Jess, our hotel room's been broken in. We need to go now. And she's like, what? What? And all the booking was in my name and under all my details. She actually was really scared that all our shit had been stolen. And we got outside of this place and I was like, it's all good. It's all good. We're going to Madame Tussauds. Like, it's all good. (laughs) I lied. (laughs) But that's how much I fell into LA. Yeah. It's, it's, I find that places that anywhere that will suck you in like that is pretty dangerous i was like i need out um but the last before we wrap up we have a tradition on the podcast which is where the previous guest leaves a question for the current guest and they don't know who they're asking you won't know who you're asking but the question that has been left for you is what was your favorite children's book matilda love that new musical coming out with one of my favorite actresses in emma thompson Uh Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, it's it's funny because I didn't. It wasn't necessarily my favorite book growing up. I've always been a big Roald Dahl fan. Um, and by the way, this is so silly, but it's true. I read to my kids every night, and when I do read to them, I always read with a British accent for some reason. It's just something different. I mean, you are really good at it. <laughs> but don't, don't fall into the trap. A lot of American kids are speaking with a British accent because of Peppa Pig. <laughs> a lot of them have actually picked up a real. Peppa Pig, like a British accent, which I find mad. Yeah, I mean, it's just something different, you know. Mm. And I and it's funny because when you change accents, I mean, you'll notice this when you play parts that that require a different accent for any reason. Um, it just it changes your cadence. Yeah. Um, I I always find that when I always watch British shows on Netflix and everything, like I'm a big fan of of British drama and. Your favorite British TV show. Oh my gosh. Not, uh, it's not as it's like streaming service stuff. So I don't know where it plays there, but um, oh my God, now I'm blanking on the name. It was like a really slow burn, but it was so good. It was, was with David Tennant and Olivia. Um, uh, Broadchurch. Yes. Yes. Love. I, love. I wasn't into that. Um, it's a I, slow burn, but mm. their performances are so strong. And I, I really didn't see the ending coming. I was, pleasantly surprised she's such a good um, actress like she's oh another one that would make yeah. me look like a piece of shit and i'm at peace with it like we're all good um but like i'm gonna give you some suggestions for british tv shows are you a comedy person do you like comedy stuff yeah, of course, yes so there's a scottish one that's called still game which is hilarious but you'll probably need to watch it with subtitles um the uk version of shameless is impeccable so much better than the american Sorry okay. if you've got any friends in the American version. No, and no, no. there's a sitcom that you will get on BBC iPlayer called Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crisps. And <laughs> all three of those shows are really accurate representations of working class people in different parts of Britain. And they're all super funny, like hilarious, and they're all great yeah. and they've got great actors in. Like they're my three top oh, three shows of all time. I mean, I'm feel free to just disregard all of that. Um, but what question would you like to leave for the next guest? Right, well, we've come to the end. What is coming up next for you? Obviously, NCIS LA season 14 is out, available on Paramount Plus in the US. Uh, is it is CBS in the US? I should have looked at this. It's on Fridays yes, at yes, yes. 9, 10 Central, I think. It's on Sundays. Oh, 
See, this is why I don't look at shit because I'm going to get spoilers. Sundays, nine ten Central, uh, CBS. Where can everyone find you on social media to keep up to date with what you're doing? Um, on Instagram and Twitter, I am at Daniela Rua. Daniela only has one L. Yeah. Um, and Rua is spelled R U A H. And then um, on Facebook, I believe it is Daniela Rua Rua Oficial, written in Portuguese. So apologies for that. It'll all be in the show notes below anyway. Thank you so much. I, I do have to very quickly say, I don't follow you on social media. I am going to. I'm just not wanting spoilers. I'll probably finish the show in a couple of days anyway. But genuinely. And then you uh, oh, Instagram. I'm more of an yeah. just so you no, the only reason I haven't followed you, I was super excited when we got all the confirmation, is I just don't want spoilers. I want to watch the show, do you know? Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for coming on and doing this. Genuinely, I've only been with the show for a little bit of time, but I'm genuinely so mesmerized by the acting and the storytelling, and it means a lot that you've come on and done this today. And I love, I loved all of your questions. You had really, really good questions, and you're a wonderful concert conversationalist. I feel like we could talk for four yeah. hours. In fact, we should, you know what? We should go out for a... For, to a pub for a, a whenever bit. you come to the uk next i will be your tour guide you got it <laughs> or if i'm in la you can show me around um but i will yeah. let you go because obviously we've we've all got other lives and stuff and you've got kids <laughs> to pick up from school yeah that would be lovely let us know and i'll post about yes. it when the time comes amazing thank you so much and have a lovely rest of your day you too bye And there we have it, another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 123 completed. And thank you so much to Daniela for coming on the show, genuinely, it does mean the absolute world. I had such a good time chatting with you, and all of the advice that you've given me today will remain forever in my heart. Genuinely, it means the absolute world. It's not often that you do come across somebody as genuine and as willing to help somebody just starting out in this industry, so genuinely thank you so much please make sure to go over and follow us both on social media which you'll find down in the show notes below as per usual and if you have a story for stage right or stage right go back down into those show notes click the link to the google form and submit your story and to all of you listening at home thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of me talking absolute shite with some of my favorite people in the world it genuinely means more than anyone will ever know so thank you from the bottom of my heart if you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave a rating and a review on the podcast. It helps us out so much you don't even understand. But I'll be back again next Tuesday with a brand spanking new episode. So until then, have a great week. Stay safe. I love you. Drama school dropout. No graduation day for you. Drama school dropout. Don't you hold course, now try something new. I'm a school girl.